we're going to finish up Matthew 7 today. Persistence in prayer, and uh, some of the conditions to prayer are you have to ask, you have to ask in faith, and you can't be asking amiss, as James says. And if you have known sin in your life and you haven't repented of it and confessed it to God, uh, then according to the scriptures, we look at some scriptures in the Old Testament, think about four different scriptures, Psalms, Proverbs. I think Isaiah and also Micah, we saw that if you have, you're regarding iniquity in your heart, the Lord does not even hear your prayer. Does that mean that he doesn't literally hear them coming out of your mouth? No, because that means he wouldn't be omniscient. But it means he's ignoring your prayers. He's not going to answer them. He's not going to turn his ear to them and give attention to them. And we learned last week, uh, and we talked about this before in this fellowship, there's four different answers God can give to prayer. One is, I don't hear you. Kind of like that uh, you know, Verizon wireless commercial, can you hear me now? And if you're regarding iniquity in your heart, God will say no. <coughs> so one is, I don't hear you. Uh, one is yes. One is no. And one is wait. And I have to admit that in, in my prayer life, that wait's always the hardest for me. It's hard to have patience sometimes. But God is infinite in, infinite in wisdom, and we are finite. He understands things a lot better than we do. And... Um, we looked at this narrow road and this broad road that leads to destruction. Now, is this destruction that Matthew 7, 4, 13 is talking about? Is that like you cease to exist destruction? Is that what it means? No. If we were to look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, we'd see it's everlasting destruction. And some people, some uh, groups like the Jehovah Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists, these are two different groups that supposedly are Christians, and they would tell you, that when someone goes to hell, they end up uh, ceasing to exist at some point in time. It's called annihilationism. And they would go to verses like this and say, look, you're destroyed. And destroy in the normal sense of the word, if I go to a building and destroy it, it's not there anymore, is it? It ceases to be there. If you drop a bomb on a city, it ceases to be there. The, the, the city's destroyed. The land that the city was built upon might still be there, but the city itself is destroyed. When, when the Bible says destruction, it's not talking about you ceasing to exist. It's talking about God's wrath being poured out upon you in hell. And we looked at the broad road, and, and uh, we saw broad means that it's, it's room enough for as many people as who want to go there. There's plenty of room in hell. <coughs> and if God needs to expand it a little bit and add on a room or two, he will, so to speak. So there's plenty of room for, for everyone that wants to go. And uh, the... The, na the narrow gate is narrow, and uh, we looked at the word in, in verse 14, it says difficult in the New King James Version. Now, what does that word mean? What, did I, what are some synonyms I gave you for that word? Agonize. Oh, that was in Luke, that was in Luke, agonizing, yeah. Have to agonize to get into it, yeah. It's, uh, it's difficult, it's hard, it's suffer. It's uh, affliction. Right. Go ahead, Nia. Compressed. Compressed, that's right. That's one of the words I gave. It's um, it's trouble. So we looked at trouble, affliction, difficult. And then we looked at the parable of the sower. And what happened to that one 
ground that had the seed of the Word of God sown in it, and there was trouble and difficulty. What happened to it? It was choked out. It was choked out. And that person fell away from the faith. So you must realize that this, this walk is going to be a troubling walk, an afflicting walk. We look at Acts 14 where Paul said, after he got stoned and left for dead, he went to encourage the brethren. Imagine that. You were stoned and left for dead, and you went to encourage the brethren. And it seemed like they should be encouraging him. But he went to encourage them and said, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Boy, sure does he know about that, doesn't he? Everybody knows about trouble and affliction and entering the kingdom of God. It's Paul. I mean, he could have just said, oh, this is enough, God. I've had enough. I'm going to leave this now. I don't want to get stoned anymore. And left for dead. Not a pleasing thing to go through, I'm sure. So there's only a few to find. Let me look at the, 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 the trees. Now, being a good tree or a bad tree, who decides that for you? Yourself. That's right. That's right. Now, some theological system that would say that God decided in eternity past whether he'd be a good tree or a bad tree. And Adam decided whether he'd be born a good tree or a bad tree. <laughs> we know those things aren't true. And we looked at John, we saw what, what Je- or I'm sorry, in, in Matthew 12, 33-37, we saw what Jesus said about that. He said, either make the tree good or make the tree bad. And it's, and it's fruit good or it's fruit bad. So he's calling them to take action. So they were in charge of what kind of tree and what kind of fruit they would produce. And we looked at false teachers and how they come as ministers of righteousness. And how just a little bit of poison can kill you. So we always need to be Bereans. You know, the Bereans are commended by the Apostle Paul for checking what he said. Writer of half the New Testament, the Apostles of the Gentiles. And he commended them for it. We should check what everyone says. No matter how well you know them, no matter how much you trust them, anyone is susceptible to going to false teaching. No matter who it is. Anyone is susceptible. There's always temptation out there. And if you are a demon who wants people to go astray and wants them to go to hell, and you see these guys up here at the top who are kind of teaching people, and you see these people down here who aren't teaching anybody, who are you going to try to get first to get into false teaching? The top person or the bottom person? Yeah, because who's he going to influence? Lots of people. Just because someone's a great teacher, you know, doesn't mean they're, they're, uh, they can't go astray, the false teaching. So we need to check what everyone says. And really what it comes down to, you just need to know the Word of God yourself. You need to know the Word of God yourself. You need to be reading it. As you said in Matthew 4, feeding on it as if it's the, your very daily bread. You know, I was reading, I'm reading through this, this book called uh, God's Smuggler. About this guy named Bro- uh, Brother Andrew, who from the 1950s on has been smuggling Bibles into closed countries, countries that don't let the Bible in there. He's smuggling Bibles in, and, and he'll come to these, these places where he has to get into the country, he has his passport ready, and they're supposed to check his luggage. And he prays his prayer, he says, he says God, he says, um, just like just when you were on earth, you, you made the, the blind eye see, now make the seeing eyes blind to the Bibles I have in my, my car, so I can smuggle them in. And he's always answering his prayer. Uh, but he's getting, he, I just read about him going to Bulgaria. All the troubles he went through to get to Bulgaria. And he went to this, he met this one guy there who he had heard about from a friend back home. And uh, this guy, he, he met him and they came together and they were talking. He said, well, he said, what's that over there? He said, well, that's, that's a Bible. He said, well, uh, how many Bibles does the local church have? He says, it has one. He's like, well, it only has one Bible? He said, yeah, it only has one. He said, this one over here I bought at a 
at a junk store. It's missing Genesis and Exodus and Revelation, but I, I'm, I'm actually typing them up on a typewriter so I can add them to there to give them to a church. So a church can have one Bible. And he, he comes up from his car, this big box, it's full of Bibles. There's just tears from their eyes, their, their mouth is open, they can't believe it. You see, so we're blessed here to have multiple Bibles, to have Bibles on our computer programs, to be able to have these, these resources. So we're going to be more accountable to God for this access we have and what we're doing with it. And these people, they have one Bible, they're like, well, it's your, it's your family's turn this day, and it's your family's turn this day, and they're sharing this Bible, and they're just, oh, man, I can't wait till it's, it's my turn to have the Bible for the week. The way you look at your Bible? Are you considering your Bible like that? Or is, is it really that important to you? That you have such easy access to it? Or are you just putting it aside and reading other books and playing games and all things that don't matter? So we need to examine ourselves in, uh, concerning this. So let's get into Matthew 7, 21 through 29. <coughs> Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, <coughs> cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was his fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. So we see in verse 21 through 23 some very serious warnings from Jesus Christ. Ones that we all need to take to heart. And one of the most dangerous things in all of visible Christianity, one of the most dangerous things is this, self-delusion. For someone to think they are saved, and they're not. And the people Jesus is talking about here were never saved. I'm going to go to that here in, in, in a few minutes. But Jesus says in verse 20, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. So just because someone says, Lord, Lord. You know, I go to the open air and people say, yeah, Jesus is my Savior. And, and there's people, who there's this movement going around in Christianity where it says, are, are you a Lord's of Salvation preacher or are you a grace preacher? As if they're two separate things. Now, if Jesus isn't your Lord, you don't have the grace of God, according to Titus 2, 11 through 14. And if you have the grace of God, it teaches you something. But there's those who go around saying, Jesus is just my Savior. He, he's, he's not ruling in my life. He's not, I'm not obeying Him. So Jesus isn't even addressing them. Because that's just an obvious thing as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, that if you're not obeying God, you're not one of his children. But he's addressing those who actually call him Lord, Lord. They say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. They may even say, yes, I'm obeying him. But they're not. And then they, then they ask this question. This is someone, a question that Jesus is saying will be asked of him on that day. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, have, have we not? So there's a question here. Jesus isn't saying these people actually did these things. They're saying, have we not? 
Have we not prophesied in your name? And prophesy could mean telling a future thing that's going to happen. Or it can mean just simply proclaiming the word of God. You know, there's many prophets in the, in the Old Testament who were false prophets. They said, thus saith the Lord. They claimed to speak for God. And yet they weren't. They weren't speaking for God. And according to God's Old Testament law, they deserve to be stoned for their sin of claiming to speak for God, and they weren't. And then a prophet in the Old Testament who actually were speaking for God, the people didn't like. So there's actually a principle on that, that if the world, most of the world, likes what you're saying, chances are you're not speaking for God. Because the whole world hated Jesus. We're going to be like him. Not that we're seeking out that hatred, but it's going to happen. So they claim to have, they have haven't we prophesied in your name, Jesus? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? That reminds me of the, of the story in the book of Acts of the seven sons of Sceva. They went to this, this demon-possessed man, and he said, we, uh, we command you to come at it in, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And, and the demon through the man speaks to these, these seven sons of Sceva and says, uh, uh, Jesus we know, and Paul we've heard of, but you we do not know. And then they, they beat, beat them, and they, were, they went out of there bleeding and naked, it says. So I, I don't think these people who aren't Christians were actually casting out demons in Jesus' name. Because when someone tries to do that, it's not as if the word, the word Jesus, like we talked about last week, has some kind of magical power to it. It's doing it in the name of Jesus. You're doing it in the power of Jesus, and the likeness of Jesus, and the character of Jesus. And you have the power of God within you through the Holy Spirit. So they're saying, have we not cast out demons in your name? And, and done many wonders in your name. And the word wonders there simply means a, a deed of mighty power. It could be a miracle, some kind of sign. <coughs> so they claim to have done these things. Ha have we not, Jesus? He's asking them, have we not? And there's many people who are going around today who claim to speak for God, who claim to cast out demons, who claim to do many wonders in his name. And one guy's name is Benny, and he's probably the most popular one. But he's not really doing these things. But he's claiming these things. And I fear for him, and many who are like him, they'll stand before Jesus and say, have we not done these things? Have we not done these things? So if Jesus is coming against these people who supposedly have preached the word of God, cast out demons, and done many wonders, we need to examine ourselves. Make sure we're in the faith. Because just by doing these things does not make you a Christian. Just by sitting around and reading your Bible does not make you a Christian. Just by being baptized and dipping some water does not make you a Christian. It's from your heart. A life submitted to God. And Jesus says in a minute what it, what it means to, to have a, a house built upon the rock. And who the rock is, we'll get into that too. So have we not done many wonders in your name? So they're, they're saying, Lord, Lord, not just saying, Lord, they're saying, Lord, Lord. They're saying, in his name, after everything they say. So they really, really think they're okay with God. But they're not. They're self-deluded. And Jesus says, and I will declare to them, to these people, and there will be many of them, he says, at the beginning of verse 22. I will declare to these people, I never knew you, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there's two reasons why Jesus said, depart from me. One, I never knew you. 
Two, you're practicing lawlessness. I never knew you. This means Jesus didn't know about them. No, because Jesus knows the hair, the hairs in your head. He knows everything about you. The Greek word here is gnosko, and it means to simply intimately know somebody, to have a relationship with them. And according to what Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, knowing God the Father and the one he has sent. That's it. That is eternal life. It's knowing God. Having an intimate relationship with them. That's what eternal life is. And so they never knew him. They've never known him in that way. Not at one time knew him, and now doesn't know him. They never knew him in that way. And two, they practiced lawlessness. Well, this is one case where the word practice is actually in the Greek. But when I went to the Greek lexicon, the Greek dictionary, it really was one of the, like one of the last uh, words you can use for this. It means to work, uh, to accomplish, to carry out. So once again, we have this connotation here that this word practice and how people interpret that word practice. It means doing it so many times per week or doing it so many times per month or whatever it may know. It just means you're working lawlessness. You're carrying it out. You're accomplishing lawlessness. So we shouldn't get this false idea that, well, as long as I'm not doing the same sin uh, more than once a week, I'm good to go. That's not what it means. If we have any sin in our lives, we need to get it out immediately. It have nothing to do with it from here on out. But you who practice lawlessness. Now, from, the, from these verses, we'll have groups who believe in once saved, always saved, and groups who believe in perseverance to the saints. They'll take these three verses and say, look, if anyone ever departs from the faith, but thinks they're a Christian, but they're not really a Christian, it's because they never were a Christian in the first place. Now, you can't take these three verses and say, this applies to everyone universally across the board. Because it doesn't. So the question becomes, can, can someone take these three verses which says that these people who are coming to Jesus on that day and saying, did I do these things, these things, and these things in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Can we apply that all the way across the board and brush aside all the scriptures that say that someone can depart from the faith, fall away, or be cut off? No, we can't do that. It's really bad interpretation of scriptures. Really bad hermeneutics. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> let's go to some scriptures that talk about Jesus saying to people, I do not know you. Luke 13. That's the one we read last week. I'm just going to read it again to you. Uh, Luke 13, verses 22 to 27. And Jesus is even talking about something very similar here. And he's talking about in Matthew 7. But I think it's a completely different situation. <clears throat> he's not saying exactly the same thing. So verse 22 says, And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. They once said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? They said to them, strive, is that word agonize again, to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But you will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. So in this situation, Jesus isn't saying, I never knew you. He's saying, I do not know you. Okay, so it's completely different there. And then you also have Matthew 25, the, the parable of the, 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 vir, ten, the ten virgins. There's, there's wise virgins and foolish virgins. And the foolish virgins, 7 verse 8, to the, to the wise, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. 
But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other verses came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So these virgins, and, and, and a virgin is someone who's, who's pledged to be married to somebody. They're betrothed to somebody. And the marriage has, you know, the marriage between the Christians who are the bride of Christ and Christ, the groom, has not happened yet. You're not married to him yet. You're just pledged to be married to him. You're betrothed to him, like Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And if you don't persevere to the end, you try to come to the wedding feast, you're going to say, I don't know you. But guess what? You were pledged to him at one point in time. So at one point in time, you might have known him. But you don't know him. He doesn't know you. Because you didn't persevere to the end. You engaged in spiritual adultery, spiritual fornication. And therefore, just like Joseph was going to put Mary away before they got married, Jesus will put you away. Don't be a foolish virgin. Have that, that line, the, have that, that anointing of the, the, the oil of the Holy Spirit and persevere until the end. Abiding in Christ, remaining in Him. So people would say that the, these verses supposedly support this idea that if someone falls away, they were never saved in the first place. But if you fall away, what do you, and you weren't saved in the first place, what are you falling away from? If you're, if you're falling away, you must be from salvation. So what I want to do is look at three different passages now to kind of help you understand what the Bible says about this issue. Now, now people who were here for the, the Tulip series, we've been through this before, but that was a long time ago. Now you're a lot older for the children especially, so you might be able to understand it better and retain it better than you did before. So let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. And I want to give you some neat, some verses that obviously say that someone who genuinely is saved can fall away. So later on in life, if someone tries to lead you astray into this doctrine of once saved, always saved, or perseverance of the saints, you don't get led astray. Okay? So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, this is Jesus talking, I mean, the, the Apostle Paul talking about the end times. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, until the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. That they will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So, and the falling away there is the Greek word, uh, if it's translated in English, is apostasy, if it's transliterated into English. So, what Paul is saying here is, first of all, don't be deceived, it has not come yet. It hasn't come yet. There's also something else he's saying here. That day will not come until an apostasy occurs, and Antichrist comes. So until those two things come, we can't say Jesus Christ has come back or he's going to come back. We have his people out in California saying Christ is going to come back and, uh, and we're going to be a rapture in May of 2011, which 
our gathering together to him in verse 1 will not happen, and it happens at the same time that he comes back. All that happens at the same time. All that will not happen first until the Antichrist and the falling away happens. Now, the falling away, a genuine apostasy cannot happen. It's impossible, according to once saved, always saved, and the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Then I guess Jesus is never coming back. And the Antichrist is never coming. So they're going to have a real problem with talking about end times things if there's no such thing as an apostasy, a real, genuine apostasy, a falling away from the faith. <coughs> because that must happen first before Christ will come back. I guess Christ is never coming back for us then. And we're never, never going to be gathered together to him because that happens after the Antichrist is revealed and after the falling away. Now we may be experiencing some, some taste of this falling away now, an apostasy. But the great apostasy is coming. And if we, if we think we've experienced some people falling away from the faith and thinking they're Christians and living in godliness happening now, do you see it later? People may you consider strong brothers in Christ and they may fall away and take the mark of the beast. So we need to prepare ourselves. We're just feeling like my wife, she's, you know, she's due to give birth in seven days, and, or whatever it may be, and, and uh, she's been feeling some tremors, some, some, some contractions. They've been strong at times, weak at other times. They're really inconsistent. That's what we've been experiencing in our world. But when that seven-year tribulation comes in, and the Christ reveals it's going to be, until it finally gives birth to Christ coming back, the very end. And the, the bride is delivered to the bridegroom. The wedding feast. Let's look at uh, 1 Timothy 4.1. <clears throat> Paul, once again, talking about the end times, says, Now the Spirit expressly says, or explicitly <laughs> says, very clearly says, and who says this? The Spirit that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, I don't know what Paul had in mind when he's talking about doctrines of demons here, but surely he had partly in mind what he just said in 2 Thessalonians. That people think Christ is already come back. No, I don't think so. Christ has not already come back, and when he comes back, it'll be the same time we're gathered together to him, and it must be a falling away first. So the Spirit expressed in the latter times some will depart from the faith. So if fans bunch of bad, the Spirit is expressly, explicitly, clearly saying this. Now, if some, if none can depart from the faith, then first of all, Paul's a liar. The Spirit's a liar. And uh, maybe those people are the ones giving heed to doctrines or demons. When the Spirit expressly says this, and they don't believe what the Spirit <laughs> expressly says, then where are they getting their doctrine from? not giving it from the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's for sure. And only I would say, this is just a little side item here, is that both these passages gave you really, in my mind, destroy open theism. Because open theism says that God doesn't know the future free will decisions of mankind with any kind of certainty. And that if he did, they wouldn't be free will decisions. 
Now, some philosophical issues I'm not going to deal with in regard to this, but I just want to touch on these two verses here with regard to this. People who are open theists believe that departing from the faith is a free will decision. But the Spirit is expressly saying that many will depart from the faith, or some will depart from the faith in the latter days, and that the fallen way must come first. Now, if God doesn't know the future free will decisions of mankind, how could he say these things? According from the open theist perspective, the only way God can say these things is if he's actually going to make it happen himself. And now you're back to Calvinism. God making people depart from the faith. Which is what open theists reject. And one of the reasons they are open theists is they don't want to fall into the trap of Calvinism. So these verses thoroughly, in my mind, destroy open theism because God is declaring with certainty, explicitly, expressly saying, Christ will come back and will be gathered together to him that many will depart from the faith, and that some will depart from the faith. That's what the Spirit, Holy Spirit is saying. So you can't have it both ways. So that means when you go to the other scriptures in the Old Testament that the open theists use to, to prove their position, we must interpret unclear and let it clear verses in my mind. That's how you interpret the Bible. Okay? That's just a side issue. Let's go to Hebrews 3. This is one of my favorite passages. In fact, Hebrews itself is one of my favorite books in the Bible to destroy one save always save. This false doctrine of demons. And this passage I'm going to read is one of my favorite passages regarding this issue. And we're starting Hebrews 3 and verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, the day of trial in the wilderness. For your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my way. So I swore in my wrath they should not enter my rest. Let me stop right there for a second. Who is saying this according to verse 7? The Holy Spirit's saying this. And this is from Psalm 95. It's a quote from Psalm 95. And in Psalm 95, David's recording talking about the history of the Jews from Numbers 13 and 14. So if you want to read that about that in your own time, you can. I'm just going to kind of talk about it a little bit. But Psalm 95 is what he's quoting here. And Numbers 13 and 14, the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14, is the story he's recounting. This is when the Jews, uh, God said, send to Moses, send uh, 12 spies into the promised land to check it out. Moses gave him some instructions. And, uh, he, and he kind of gave him a little more instruction than God gave him. So maybe Moses was part of the problem here. He said, go see what the people are like. Whether they're strong or they're weak. Now, if God's on your side and God tells you to deliver the promised land to you, it doesn't matter if they're strong or weak. So why would he even tell them that? I don't, I don't know why Moses said it to them. But he did. They went to the promised land. They brought back <coughs> this big cluster of grapes. Men had to carry it. It doesn't say how big they were, but they were big. They even called that land the land of clusters. And uh, they came back and and, of course, only one spy spoke up. And we know Joshua was for it, too. But only Caleb spoke up and said, we should go in right now. We should go now, he said. Take it. The Lord's given us the land. But the other ten are like, no, no, we can't do that. Those guys are big. The, the descendants of Anak are there. The Anakites are there. They're huge. They're going to destroy us. They're much more in number than us. And, uh, you know, Caleb said, he, he stood up and said, no, we need to go into the land. And the, the people wanted to give a new leader, besides Moses, and go back to Egypt. And uh, Moses and 
and Aaron and, and Joshua and Caleb got real were weeping over this, and even Caleb and Joshua rent their garments and were were pleading with the people. And the people, after even after they pleaded, they wanted to stone these two guys to death. And so God brought a judgment upon them because they refused to believe Him and tell. And when He said, "I will give you the land," the land is yours. You were, they refused to believe it. They refused to obey God and take the land. So he said to Moses, Moses, I'm, I'm going to destroy these people and make them out of you instead. And Moses pleaded with him, and he said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll keep these people. But the people who rebelled against me, they're going to die. They're not going to see the promised land. They've hardened their hearts. They were going astray in their hearts. They saw my works. They saw my deliverance. I mean, can you imagine seeing all these things and still rejecting God? All the, all the ten plagues, the deliverance, and walking through the Red Sea on dry land, the water, the first aquarium you ever saw. Look, there's a shark there. There's a, there's a fish there. You know, you're seeing an aquarium. It's not even, it's not even glass there. You can poke in the water and you can see the fish. Yet they still rejected him. Dead with the manna, water from the rock. And they still rejected him. And he said, these people are going to die here. Anyone who's 20 or older is going to die here. The rest will take the land. The children who had not sinned, oh, they're not accountable for the parents' sin, had not sinned, they will take the land. And I'll let Caleb and Joshua go, too, because they stood up for me. So that, that's the conduct we're talking about here. These people who are God's chosen people, he said to them, I reject you because why? You rejected me. Unbelief, hardening your heart, going astray. So with that in mind, let's read on in verse 12. Beware, brethren. Let's stop there. Brethren. Now, what, now people will say, well, this is written to the Jews here. This is the book of Hebrews. It's just Jewish brethren. Let's see what kind of brethren they are in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. These are holy brethren, those who are partakers of the heavenly calling, which is salvation. And then we go back to uh, chapter 2 and verse 11. And this is where, uh, we'll start in verse 10. For it's fitting for him, Jesus, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he, Jesus, who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren. So the brethren being talked about in Hebrews 3.12 are Jesus' brethren, because they're being sanctified by him. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, they're holy brethren. These aren't just lineage brethren, like, you know, Malachi, he might have a brother someday. Daniel has a brother named Seth, or a brother named Daniel. We're not talking about that. We're talking about holy brethren, those who Jesus is not ashamed <coughs> to call his brethren. And he's telling them, beware. Well, beware of what? Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. So these holy brethren... He's one that Jesus is not ashamed to call his brethren, because he sanctified them and he is sanctifying them. He's telling them to beware. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So can you depart from the living God? If he's saying beware, is there a chance you can depart from the living God? Oh, it's false. It's a it's a, a useless warning if it wasn't possible. In verse 13, and this is one way you can keep yourself from falling. But exhort one another daily. We should be exhorting you, like I'm exhorting you now. 
encourage each other, exhort, warn, daily, while it is called today. Or why is it today? Because today is all you have. Today is all you have. You may not have tomorrow. Because people who presume on the grace of God say, well, I'm going to live in sin for a week or so, or just today. I'm going to live in sin a little bit today, and tomorrow I'll repent and I'll be okay with God. I won't do it again. Um, no. Today. Today. Lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful. Sin will have you believing, oh, it's just, it feels good. No big deal. Just ask God. You tell God sorry tomorrow. No big deal. It's just one little sin. Come on. No big deal. Everyone sins every once in a while, right? See how deceitful sin is? That's what it'll tell you. Oh, short-term gain, a little bit of pleasure, but long-term pain. And departing from the living God. So don't deceive you like that. And not only that, it'll harden your heart. You think it's just one, and they say, I'll do it again, then I'll do it again, I'll do it again. And they develop the habit, and now it's become bondage, and it's hard to break. They'll deceive you like that. Don't be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers... Partakers of what? The inheritance that's given to Christ, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, of Christ, if. That little two-letter word is a very important word in the Bible. It means there's a condition. There's an if-and, a probability or possibility. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So if there's a chance that we won't hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, and therefore we won't become partakers of Christ. And once again, he's saying this to people who are brethren, holy brethren, people who Christ is not ashamed to call brethren. And he, in verse 15, he repeats it again. Today, don't wait till tomorrow. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. Don't follow... The bad example that your lineage brethren did. Don't follow their example. It'd be like me, uh, you know, if Malachi had a brother, I'd say, well, uh, to his little brother, if Malachi had departed from the family, I'd say, listen, uh, uh, Thaddeus, uh, take your brother's example to heart and don't follow in his way. Today, don't harden your heart as your brother did in the rebellion. Walk in the faith. That's what he's saying. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Does all mean all there? Not universally all. Caleb and Joshua weren't part of that all. Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, there's another thing I want you to realize when it comes to this word today, which we've seen three times now in this passage. If you go back to that story and read Numbers 14 and 15, you'll see they, after God declared they would not enter the promised land, they came back to Moses the next day and said, we'll take it right now. We've changed our mind. But it was too late. It was too late. God already said no. They changed their mind. They said, well, we're going to go do it anyway. And Moses said, don't do it. You're going to lose. And they went in and got beat. They got pushed back even further than they were. So go to show you, today is the only day you have. I mean, I have tomorrow or the next day. 
So today, while you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the Jews in the rebellion. And who can, and we say that, who to whom did he swear, in verse 18, they, did, they would not enter his rest, but to those <coughs> who did not obey. Obedience. Which is a sign of unbelief. They could not enter him because of unbelief. And the word unbelief, that doesn't mean just like, uh, I don't believe you. It, it means unfaithfulness, a lack of commitment to a relationship. That's what it means, what the Greek word means. So they're unfaithful to God. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Come short of it. And uh, let me just read one more verse from this, and that's verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, that future inheritance promised to those, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So we see examples of disobedience in the Bible. Should we go to them and say, hey, look, you disobeyed, so can I. You know, people say, I can't lose myself. Look, David, he, he uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed her husband. He didn't lose his salvation. If I go out and do that, it shouldn't happen to me either. Or should we look at the example of disobedience in the scripture and say, I don't want to do that. Lest you fall according to the same example of disobedience and fail to enter that rest. That future inheritance promised to those who persevered to the end. So those are just three verse, two verses in, in a passage there that I want to give you with some, some meat there. You can meditate on and think about and, and use to help combat this doctrine of demons. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit, that's for sure. The Spirit expressly says something different. Okay, back in Matthew 7, we see in verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, for the requirement to hear, though, and we know in Romans 10, 14, 15, that how can they believe when they're not heard? How can they hear without a preacher? So we should be preaching the sayings of Jesus. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, we have to do something? That's work salvation. To do something? And does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. What's the rock? same rock that gave water to the Israelites. You know, in Matthew 16, I won't, I won't go there, I won't take up that much time for that, but Matthew 16, 13 through 20, there's a little discourse between Jesus and Peter. And, um, in fact, let me just go there real quick. I won't take that much time. Matthew 16, <clears throat> starting in verse 13. came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man, am. But it said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should not tell they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So we have this this conversation going on here. And Jesus uh, calls Peter, uh, in the Greek it means a stone, like a little stone. Uh, maybe like one of the ones that they, that David used for to kill Goliath. Okay, a stone. And then he says, and on this rock. Now, what rock is he talking about? Are you talking about Peter? Is he building a church upon Peter? No? Well, that's good. It's actually a different Greek word, too. It means a, a bedrock or a massive rock formation. Now, is there a difference between a massive rock formation, a bedrock? Like you try to drill out of the ground. How many tons did it move from your ground here, John? How many tons of rock? About 7,000 tons. 7,000 tons of rock. Bam, 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 bam. And it's just almost impossible to move. So there's a bedrock upon which Jesus will build his church, and then there's a stone he calls Peter. Okay? Now, what is this bedrock he's building the church upon? It's confession, yeah. And who is he confessing in? Jesus is the Christ. <coughs> Jesus is the rock, and it takes a confession. And according to Jesus in Matthew 7, if you're not doing his sayings, you're hearing them but not doing them, you don't have your house built upon the rock, Jesus Christ. No matter what you confess in your mouth. So Jesus is the, is, Jesus is the rock, and the confession goes along with that. But you must confess in your mouth and believe in your heart. And uh, the gates of Hades will not prevail against this rock, this foundation. As long as you're built upon this foundation. It's not built upon this foundation. What happens to a normal house if you don't have a foundation and a big storm comes? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you later. But if a house has a foundation that goes 10 feet deep, and there's ground all around it, where do people go when, if they have a basement? Where do they go if a tornado comes? Or a shelter that's built into the ground, right? So the storms of life come, where should you go? Foundation. And there's a foundation? Jesus. Oh, so who should you go to when you have problems in life? Jesus. He's your shelter in a time of storm. He's your tower of refuge. To use all the word pictures that the Bible have used about him. In your time of need, that's right, Malachi. Yes. That's all we sing in our house. That's right. That helps me remember when I'm singing the song. Yeah, if I have a problem, he's my one to go to. He's my time of need. In my time of need, he's there. It's not like, like busy off doing something. He's on a vacation or something. In your time of need, he's there. Wants you to call upon him. I talked about last week. Do not have, do not ask for. Ask, seek, knock. So the wise man is him who builds his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So when the storm, not only the storms of life, but when the great storm, judgment day comes, it'll be a great and terrible day for some. You will stand, because you're built upon the rock. And building upon the rock means you must confess to his Lord, and you must do his sayings. If you hear his sayings, you're not doing them. It doesn't matter what you say with your mouth. 
You're praising with mouth and confessing with your lips, but your heart is far from him, according to Jesus' own words. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. Now, who are those who hear the sayings of Christ and don't do them? Is it the, the world who doesn't ever hear the Bible? No, he's talking about the same people he's talking about up here in Matthew 7, 21. Who, who claim he's their Lord. They hear the sayings of Jesus. But either don't care, they're not paying attention, or they just love their sin. But all those responses are wrong. Only proper response to hearing the word of Jesus is to do them. Not to reason about, I can't do them like the Israelites did. Or we can't take those guys. They're too strong. I can't take this temptation on. It's too strong for me. I have to give in to it. Oh, no, you don't. I can't be nice to my brothers and sisters. I can't have self-control. I can't stop lying. I can't obey my parents. I can't, I can't stop gossiping. Whatever it may be. I can't, be, I can't stop being impatient. I can't speak lovingly to people. Whatever it may be, you can conquer it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And to say that, you're, that you can't is to be a foolish man. Because for Jesus to say, you hear my sayings, don't do them, it's presupposing by calling you a fool for not doing that, you can do them. Otherwise, how kind would that be of Jesus to call someone a fool to not do something they can't do in the first place? Wouldn't make much sense. And so it was, in verse 28, when Jesus had ended these, those say, these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And that's how we should teach. That's how we should preach. As one having authority. Authority doesn't mean you're screaming at the top of your lungs or yelling at somebody. It means you're confident of what you're saying. Not because you're some smart person, because it's founded, your confidence is founded in the Word of God. And that what you're saying is from the Bible. That's where our confidence lies. Not in our intellect. Not because we're some special group of people that God picked out from eternity past who have the truth and no one else has it. Because we know what the Word of God says. We've studied it for ourselves, we're convinced of it, we're confident of it, and therefore we teach with authority. And we teach with authority, and we have the Holy Spirit behind us, and it's true doctrine. We don't do miraculous things at times. People get convicted, people get saved. That's what we want. So here we are. We've, we finished up the Sermon on the Mount. In my mind, one of the it's the greatest sermon ever preached. Recorded, anyway. Jesus might have preached all the time, so it might have been, might have been better. I don't know. But uh, all his sermons are good. The only other sermon that I know, the full sermon that he has, we have recorded, is the, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, talking about the end times. And, um, you know, it's amazing to me. People who call themselves Christians, they claim to follow Christ, how ignorant they are of the teaching of Jesus and the, one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And if we were to go back through and just review these things, the ignorance that people have or the refusal to obey what Jesus says in these, in these things blows my mind in Christianity. It's really even talked. really even talked about these things, and it's so clear to me what Jesus is saying in, in these in these three uh, chapters, Matthew five, six, and seven. And we need to obey Him. He is our Lord. We can't dismiss His teaching and say, "Oh, they weren't for us; they're only for the Jews." You know, some of what Jesus said to the apostles. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Next week, Lord willing. Let's see what happens with my wife. Yeah, she gives birth tonight or tomorrow. I'll continue on as normal next week. That's fine. Nice. <laughs> we'll just have a little skelly with us. Right. We don't know where to name her yet, but we'll figure that out. Okay, well, uh, does anyone have any uh, questions, objections, or normal things that you want to bring up or add to it? We had a pastor that there was actually a Bible that was I used to have that um, had Second Thessalonians that scripture about um, falling away. You can share it. No, Go ahead. Go ahead. I had the same thought. Really. Uh, <laughs> well, that uh, word in his commentary of that word, um, you know, there Foster. will have to be a great falling away. We've lo we looked that word up, and the original word is the word apostasia, right. meaning depart from, right. falling away, or fall away. That's right. what those two meanings are to that word. And um, his commentary on it, to be consistent with the pre-trib rapture, was that that word didn't mean uh, apostasy, did not mean falling away from the faith, but rather it means rapture. And that was his commentary on it, that that word means depart from, like, you know, how the in the secret rapture they <coughs> assume that people are going to be departed from the earth. Right. Um, so that was Chuck Smith. He, that was his commentary on that. That's Chuck. Second Peter 3.16. Yeah. Also in all of Paul's epistles, speaking of them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught, unstable people twist their own destruction and do the rest of the scriptures. To, to, to that when when we I mean we did a very thorough study after that to yeah. just go through I mean everything and we wanted to call in and we had a we had mm -hmm. a, a sister who just held on to that yeah. right we were sharing about um, what the scripture says about the second coming and our being gathered and, and they were holding on to that Pastor Chuck mm -hmm. said this you know they called in to him mm -hmm. and can you explain that again just so I make sure I get That was the rapture. rapture has that's to the rapture. Right there. In that, specifically in that Second Thessalonians too, and I know it's un unbelievable it's to, for me to think. And and we shared with this other sister that you know what the scripture is teaching, encouraging her to look at the Bible and not just take man's word. She called in, mm -hmm. right? She called in. She got. She actually spoke with uh, Pastor Chuck on the radio program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what he says. That's that's what he says means, but it was confirmed just as. And then she was strengthened. She was more strengthened by his words than by the word of God. Actually, says right. To fall down and to go up are completely different things. I mean, to me, that was so amazing how how you just to hold on to your man-made doctrine, you'll you'll you will totally twist the scripture. 
Yeah, I spent three years trying to figure out picture of rapture when I first started going to Catholic Chapel, right? After 20, but I can't figure it out. Right. Because like I said, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. It's always um, been there. Um, but I had never heard that yeah. from speaking, you know, Brett Smith speaking on that. Uh, I'm glad you, you named them because this mm -hmm. is important for people to realize that right. you know, such a big denomination or non-denominational <coughs> denomination influencing, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of people. Oh. Right into lawlessness. They right. do huge conferences on every year, and we've gone to it actually, on uh, New Year's, they do a, um, a uh, end times update, right. big at Costa Mesa, mm -hmm. and they bring in all the all your preachers, guys, speakers, and they do a right. big end times update, mm -hmm. Pastor Chuck does it every year, mm -hmm. and uh, you remember we went to that? We did, yeah. yeah so Chuck Smith, the, <coughs> the founder of the Calvary Chapel Church, is teaching that the word falling away here in Thessalonians 2.3, which is apostasia in the Greek, which has been translated as the word apostasy in English, uh, means actually the catch away, yeah. like the rapture, yeah. the falling away. And that's in his word, the word for today Bible, hmm. it's referenced there. Interesting. Yeah, they're a commentary Bible. Interesting, though? Well, well, I, I know, I know about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think they have a Bible so that was sad. Yes. That was sad. And you know, at the same time as you've mentioned, you mentioned like Benny Hinn or different, and I wouldn't put, put him in that category. Right. right. But how the Lord, I, I, and then on the other hand, the Lord used him in my life. Yeah. Um, right. He was he was my first pastor. Right. Probably would say that same thing about Benny Hinn though too. Yeah, that's the what Lord I'm saying. Lord used him in his life. Yeah, you yeah. know that you mentioned right. that before. How how right. there's been someone that got saved through. Right. Right. You know, he sh he's sharing some verses, and right. the Lord saves them through that ministry. And, right. you know, so I, I still am thankful how the Lord has used him in my life, you know, and, uh, and, and the foundation being the Word and going through the Word verse by verse. And that caused me to get into the Word and just study the Word. So um, I'm thankful for that. But that's where you said you got to test to everything. Exalt yeah. some pastor or teacher yeah. or preacher. You got to be in the word yourself, and then when Pastor Chuck comes along and says that, you got to be like, "Wait a second. Or, or you're going to be like, "Oh, everything he says is." <laughs> and we know we know people that are we that are brethren that do that. They're like, "Well, I can't look at that. I have to go get Damian Kyle's. Well, you experienced that commentary. Got I got to go get his CDs first, and I'll listen to what he says on this first. Right. Then I'll go and right. make my yeah, make my decision." Yeah, people go to a lot of different teachers these days. I think people, one teacher could do most of it is Paul Washer. People are always kind of exalting him to a place he shouldn't be in. If you question anything he says, one guy posted a video of some things that he said about his own salvation, how he was a hypocrite, and he said he hopes he's not a hypocrite, and he hopes he, he knows Jesus Christ. And he just put that to a video, his own words, and people were criticizing, putting that on the video. It's his own words saying it about himself. And, and, and they're just... It's almost like they've exalted him to a position where they, they don't want to challenge him, they don't want to you know, question him. And, and I understand we need to be careful about maligning someone's character mm -hmm. and gossiping about someone, but when someone uses their own words and you're just telling people what they said, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. In that same video, I believe, was didn't they have some people came visit him for a few months, and when they left, right. when they came, they worshipped the ground he worked on. Uh, they thought he was the Apostle Paul, he said. Yeah, when, came then, to when they left, they didn't know if he was saved. Right, they, they were praying for his salvation, for he his said, salvation. When, when they left. So, I mean, that, and he was like, he kind of made a little chuckle after that, too. 
but if that was some kind of good thing. It was just maybe I hope it's just a false note of humility. I hope he's just maybe stressing the truth or exaggerating a little bit, but it's his own words. Is it false humility and deceptive? That, and what's that? Is it false humility deceptive? Sure is, but it's better than actually being true. I'd rather have him be false, falsely humble than to actually be true, that he's actually a hypocrite and he's lost and he's on his way to hell. Yeah, because I have heard that uh, Paul Washer really, you know, I'm, I'm the wretch, right. wretch that the Lord saved, and he, he really sure. hammers, hammers that home a lot. So. Right. And he's talking about his former life and just yeah. loathing the way he lived. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Right. He said, I was the chief of sinners. Yeah. But you shouldn't be that way still. Not the chief of sinners anymore. No. <laughs> if you're still the chief of sinners, then you're you're gonna, you're worse than the devil, and you're going to go to hell with them. You've rejected that way of living. That's good. It's good to know that people are doing twisting the scriptures, so we can be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've explained this a couple times, but I really just need to go over it again. Um, why is the do not and never different? The first part of the teaching here, what you did. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, Matthew seven says, "I never knew you," right? Mm-hmm. This means they've never had a relationship with him. There's also those we went through a couple of different passages here. One is in Luke. Right. We looked at it last week about striving, agonizing into the narrow gate. He says that I do not know you. You can say it to someone who you knew at one point in time. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily imply, I never knew you. And then I think the parable of the ten virgins is even more, in fact, because they were actually virgins. They were pledged to marry to Christ. So they, they, were, they knew him. They were pledged and married him, but they didn't persevere to the end. Didn't make it to the wedding feast on time. Didn't have their, their oil lamps trimmed. And so they, they, he said, I do not know you. So I think, that, I, I think at least in the parable of the virgins, it, it implies that I knew you at some point in time. It doesn't say that. But it also doesn't say, I never knew you. And they had oil. And they had oil at one point in time. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that pretty much is, a, if you, like you said, the scripture interprets the scripture. Right. But, and so that gets commentary on the other one that says, sure. I, don't, I do not know you. Right. Like yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. It's like what James is doing to his own son. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I do not know you. I don't know you. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good uh, illustration. You know, this family we have on the ridge who's wow. rejected two of their sons. And she used to know at some point in time, but now she's telling them, I don't know, you don't come back here anymore. She, she shut the door, they knock on the door and said, go away. She actually says that? Wow. Yeah. You know, that's actually, in a way, in that sense, it's a bad <coughs> thing. But in a way, now that we're born again, I know that there's been people that have tried to come to me based on a, another relationship, like, that I've had with them before the Lord, mm-hmm. you know. And like even my own brother I, I feel like you know I feel like I don't know him right. you know in a sense because you know he will try to come to me and appeal to me on a relationship based thing like before I was walking with the Lord I had fellowship with you right but now I don't have fellowship with you because he's not walking with the Lord and I am walking with the Lord so now I feel like I could even say that to my earthly brother who right. I am a blood relative of I could say well I don't know you, right. you know, because you can't appeal to that person anymore because that person's not there, right. the person that you used to know used to and be. have fellowship with. And the person but, you used to be, too. Right, the person I used to be. Right. I can I can remember things in my in the past memory of, of my memory, but but I it doesn't have anything to do with who I am now. Right. You know, and 
That's a good point. That's a good point. I, I, I can say that with my relatives. Sometimes they ask me, why don't you call on me? Or it's like, well, I would, but we really don't have much to talk about. I mean, what you want to talk about, what I want to talk about, are completely different things, so it's hard to even have a relationship at all with them. You know, these people who I used to be close with, even my father, we used to have lots in common. We used to both be sports fanatics and mm-hmm. all kinds of sinful things. And now I just, I call him up. It's a very short conversation because he doesn't want to talk about things I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And what he what he's doing in life, I have no interest in. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that's the way, and, and that's, when we're talking about knowing someone, we're not talking about knowing about them. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, I don't know, I don't have a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, the point I'm making, that, that doesn't, those scriptures, except for maybe the parable of the virgins, the, the one in Luke does not prove that those people knew him at some point in time. But it leaves the door open, because he didn't say, I never knew you. And that coupled with other scriptures that we looked at today, like Hebrews 3, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, show us that people can actually depart from the faith. They once knew him, and I don't know him. So that's the point I'm making. Theism teaches that Maybe God does a little bit about that I, Sure. I, I wasn't sure if you're aware of that or not. But it teaches that God does not know the future exhaustively. There are things in the future that have yet to happen that God doesn't know. Mm-hmm. But at the standpoint, of course, that and I haven't figured all this out how God interacts with time. I'm still figuring it out myself. Mm-hmm. But I, I would take the standpoint that God's like looking down in the timeline and seeing everything at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would say they would reject that too and say, listen, God doesn't see the future because he's not looking down on the timeline. Mm-hmm. And he's um, Therefore, he doesn't know future free will decisions of mankind. If he knew those decisions, they couldn't be free. So that's their philosophical standpoint on this issue, open, on open theism. So, but my question, and these people who are open theists, they, they believe on other issues basically all the same as me. They don't believe in original sin, simple nature, believe in free will, they believe you can lose your salvation, they believe in you know, biblical holiness. Um, so they won't, they won't say that if someone departs from the faith that God made them do it or that God wanted it to happen because they believe God wants all to be saved. Must not perish. Christ died for all. It is almost sufficient for everyone to be saved, but they must come to him in repentance and faith. So when it's passed to say that in the future, for sure, many will depart from the faith. And until they do, Christ will not come back and he will not gather the saints together to him. And then now says, the Spirit expressly says, or explicitly says, that some will depart from the faith. These are future free will decisions. When Paul was writing it, at least, and it's still future to us, if you ask me. So he's writing these things over 2,000 years before they happen. And yet, how could he do that if God doesn't know the future exhaustively? If God knows any future free will decisions of man, then he must have the ability to know all future free will decisions of man. Therefore, he does know all. Otherwise, he's not omniscient. How would that take away someone's free will if, if, uh, if he knew? Well, they, they say that God's knowing of a future free will decision makes it certain it will happen. If something's certain to happen, that takes away your free will to make it happen or not. So that's the philosophical, that's their philosophical decision. Now my position on that is that certainty does not equal necessity. So in open theism, there's there's this discussion of of free will. There's three different terms you'd know. One is uh, certainty. That has to do with factness. I know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Another one is necessity. It's forced to happen by some outside force. It's like Calvinism. 
God forces everything to happen. And then there's contingency, <coughs> which is either or. They can go this way or it can go that way. So the, the open face would say, well, because God knows the future exhaustively, therefore everything is certain to happen from God's point of view. Therefore nothing is contingent to happen that deals with possibilities, either this or that. But from God's point of view, it's only this. So therefore men have no contingency. They have no free will. And therefore everything is, is necessity too because God's foreknowledge of the event they think actually caused it to happen. So, but because they, they take away God's certainty of all things in the future, therefore there is no necessity now, and there also is plenty of contingency. And there's many passages they use. Most of the passages they use when it comes to this issue come from the Old Testament. You know, the passage where Jonah said, you know, this many days and then I'll be destroyed. They make an absolute declaration about it. <clears throat> and then they repent and God doesn't destroy him. They say God changed his mind. God saying, uh, I, I wish I had never created mankind in the flood. God changes his mind by Hezekiah dying, adding years to his life. Okay. They use these passages and, and, and they'll take their doctrine from them. Okay. Uh, but, of course, I, I wouldn't go to these passages and say those things. I would say that God is, is uh, he knew that these people would do these things. Mm-hmm. He's simply responding to them as human beings to help understand, because you did this, this is what I'm going to do. Doesn't mean he didn't know they were going to do that. Just him respond to him. And even like the, the Ninevites. Look at the way look at the, what Jonah did. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? <coughs> well, that may be what the movie says, Malachi. <laughs> but the Bible says he didn't want to go there because he thought they that God he knew God was merciful and compassionate, he might turn and forgive them. And he he despised the Ninevites. He didn't want them to be forgiven by God. He's very self righteous. So even Jonah, before he went there, even though he went there and preached what he preached. He knew in his heart that God could forgive them. Yeah, that's right. And then the Ninevites, even they knew. Why did they repent? They said, maybe maybe God will have mercy on us. Yeah. So the whole situation, to me, doesn't support open theism at all. Yeah. But there's other passages they used to, and uh, we can talk about it more during the fellowship if you yeah. want. Yeah, I know. But, um, one, one more thing. Sure. In, in that I understood, some brother that uh, explained this to, to me before, in that in certain future prophetic events, things God does know ahead of time and does make happen. Mm-hmm. And how is how is this area different, except from that it involves the will of people? Right. The, the difference, God does know some of the future. He doesn't know it exhaustively. The parts of the future he does know, according to open theism, are the parts that he brings to pass by his own power. So that's why we're getting back to this 1 Timothy 4.1, 2 Thessalonians. If these things are certain to happen according to the open theist position, God himself must making be making them, them happen. Making people fall away. That's right. And if he's doing that, then you lose your whole theological system of soteriology. And he's evil. And he's evil. He's a Calvinist God. And that's one of the reasons you rejected this whole system in the first place and yeah. came to open theism. So yeah. it's really, you can't have it both ways. So I think from scripture and philosophically, I come to the conclusion, exhaustively, God does know the future. Now, I don't know how he knows it. I don't think the Bible tells us how he knows it. Doesn't give us a picture of God's looking down at time with his timeline. That's kind of like how Augustine pictured it. But I don't think the Bible doesn't say that. I don't know how he. I just know he does. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the end, beginning and the last. Uh, he, you know, so uh, he knew us. You know, all the days a lot of you were written in the book before one began. Right. That's you know. So it obviously he's God. Right. Right. <laughs> a lot of us so. are getting into, getting into trouble trying to figure out the how. Yeah. And God didn't say how. Sure. 
certain things. God does say how he's going to. And we need to know those things. But what, what God is silent on, we need to be silent on. Amen. And, and those are the things we can chalk up to mystery. Because we don't know them. And don't make some fantasy doctrines out of the things that are silent. Right, right. I mean, if, if you're thinking about these things, yeah, how did this happen, this happened, but God doesn't reveal it to you, maybe you shouldn't be thinking about those things. You should be thinking about the things that God does reveal in Scripture. Because there's plenty in Scripture that He does reveal. If you focus on that, you're not going to have any problems. So I don't know how, I just know that He does. And uh, I think philosophically, I think it works just fine. I think God can have certainty about something. Just, and, and He knows you have contingency as well. You can choose either or. And He's certain which way you'll choose. But it does not take away your free will or your contingency in the matter. So, and I actually did a video on this because people were actually accusing me of being an open theist. Because I have lots of friends who are open theists. Uh, close friends. And so I made a video to clarify because I was getting confused left and right. I said, when have I ever said that? When have I ever proclaimed that? I looked into it for a period of time, but I rejected it. I don't think it's biblical. I think they made some good points, but I looked into it more and I, I rejected it. I've never been that. I've never come to that position. So, I did a video entitled "Why I'm Not an Open Theist." And, um, yeah, I think uh, I think even when Lord was calling us out here, I don't know. Joaquin had some conversations or something at one point or something, and they were wondering about that. They weren't saying that, right. that they were, but maybe because of the, like Jesse or those, right. maybe they they thought that that's what the fellowship was here. Open, open Jesus. Yeah. At that time, I didn't understand what. There's many people who, who make declarative statements about me when they don't even know what they're talking about, yeah. unfortunately. And if, if, you, if you're just hearing from here, in fact, I even had someone, this guy emailed Mark Spence, the School of Biblical Evangelism Dean, the way the master, and told him that I believe in open theism. And therefore, he asked me to take uh, the commendations from Ray Comfort and from himself on my website and take my links out of my signature on their message board that went back to my website because this person lied to him about me. And this other girl was taking this guy's email who had been sent to him and she was spreading it all over the place to people too. And it's like, you know, even if they were to repent, they can't, they can't stop it. D.L. Moody once talked about someone who repented of gossiping about a pastor. And she came to him and said, sorry. And he said, well, the damage is done now. She's like, well, I'll do the best I can to reverse it. But it's like opening a feathered pillow on a street corner in Chicago on a windy day. Go try to collect all the feathers in a, in a, after a couple of days. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, but they'll have, they'll have to answer to God for those things. I, I, people want to slander me, that's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't consider it an insult to be called an open theist, but I, I'm not one. That's not true. Right. Well, there's to it. Well, I'm glad you kind of talked about it a little bit because I didn't know what it was. And right, we can talk about it some more, too. There's lots of things to talk about mm -hmm. when it comes to this. And, I, and as I go through the Bible, I'm thinking about these things, too. You look at the book of Revelation, man, it's just full of stuff that really contradicts open theism in my mind. Yeah. And uh, one last thing I'll say about this is that what I found almost universally, the open theists I know, they're very vague about eschatology. They know if they go to Revelation and they don't chalk it up to mystery and say, I don't know, it's just too vague, I can't understand it, then they're going to have to deal with open theism. Mm -hmm. It's talking about future things. Lots of free will involved in these future things. Almost every open theist, in fact, I don't, I don't know one open theist who has a, unless they're a millennialist, which can, they can work with their system, a millennialism can, it's all kind of like uh, spiritualized. Uh, I don't know, you know, open theist who believes in post-trib or, or pre-trib or, 
or any, anything else that they're foundational and they really believe in it hard and they studied it out. That would just be all confusing. It, it would really mess you up. <laughs> it really would. Yeah. 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 Y